Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth podcast, where we chat all things environment, climate change and sustainability. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we're going to be talking about flooding, uh, particularly the flooding that's affected the UK in the last couple of weeks. So we're staying relevant, if nothing else. Nice and topical. <laughs> have you have you been affected by the flooding in Swansea? Um, I'll be honest, not particularly. Um there have been train journeys I've done recently where I've seen some of the flooding that's affected houses on riverbanks, but um, I'm quite lucky in that we do live on a hill anyway. Mm. Um, and though we're coastal, uh, I don't live particularly near any rivers. What about yourself? Over over in Bath way? Yeah, not not too bad. I mean, I actually live very close to a river, but I'm slightly up on the hill from it, and Bath city centre seems to have managed to have been okay but all of the kind of surrounding areas like around the rest of uh, the Avon mm. particularly the stretch I've seen between Bristol and Bath like the the flooding has been it doesn't look like it's really affected housing but certainly all of the kind of the low-lying fields which I suppose are left to be um, yeah. areas that get flooded have been like ponds. It's really obvious to us isn't it the especially like the smaller rivers you can very clearly see where it's burst its banks. Yeah um, yeah and you can see the areas where it clearly does it like every single time it bursts in a in quite a predictable looking way as well but no so nothing nothing major to report here but of course quite a lot of people have had a very different story definitely which we'll get into in just a moment but for now we're going to start with our very famous segment what one good thing have you done this week and i'll let you go first because i'm a gentleman <laughs> mine's been actually mine was suggested by um Roxy Furman, who we did an interview with a couple of weeks ago. I went to her chapter. And she basically told me that I could make my own oat milk instead of buying it um, because it's much cheaper. And then, of course, if you make it yourself, it doesn't come in those cartons that you can't really recycle very easily. The Tetra Pak, yeah. 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 So I gave that a go. I bought a big um, bag of oats in a paper packaging. Lovely. And then you just whack them in the blender, whiz them up with some water and then strain them. So then I've got my oat milk, but then also like all of the little kind of OT clumps um, I've put into. So it, I, do, I make smoothies for breakfast. So whenever I have fresh fruit, I just chop it up and put it in the freezer in like pre-proportioned packages. So all I need to do in the mornings is whack it in the blender. Oh, so disgustingly healthy. I wish I did it as often uh. as I made it sound. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I had a chocolate yum yum for breakfast. <laughs> oh God, that sounds good. <laughs> it was so good. That but I feel really so ashamed of it better. now. Well, anyway, so I put the oats, the oaty gunk in those boxes so that I didn't put it in the bin. So now I've got oats in my semi-regular morning smoothies. Oh, that's so good. And how did the oat milk taste? It's good. It's good. It um, it separates fairly quickly, but I, I suppose that does anyway in the cartons. You maybe just don't see it. So you just have to give you just it have a to shake. shake it all the time, don't yeah. you? Yeah, which, which, which you always great. have to do. Um, yeah. And you don't notice, notice any difference to... Commercial? No, it's possibly not as sweet, but I try not to buy the unsweetened one. I try to buy the unsweetened one anyway, but no, it's, it's great. And it's so satisfying as well. What's what's yours then? Um, well, I was worried you'd ask me because... Um... Like you didn't <laughs> know I would ask you. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably expect this by now. <laughs> this is every week. <laughs> but um, actually, I was going to make a confession, which is that um, I bought a non-reusable coffee cup on my train journey last oh, week oh lord I've, i'm you know so what? sorry it's I, okay I, 
I was jet lagged. I'd just come off a plane. I was desperate for some coffee. I didn't have my reusable mug. Um, I didn't I have time to get you. in the airport. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> you needed it. It's not a regular habit of yours. And it made you happy that one time. You, you know, you needed it. It wasn't like you do this all the time. This is a one-off for you. Should it be my life coach, please? We're not perfect. We're not about being perfect, are we? It's not possible for us all to be perfect all the time. So No, exactly. Yeah, we, we, we do stress it's all about... Uh, reducing everything as much as possible mm. um but yeah that that was I, I felt a mix of shame and satisfaction as i actually got my coffee <laughs> um, the, the caffeine fix overrode the shame oh i was i was desperate for the coffee um so yes i've made a much more conscious effort since then to bring my reasonable mug everywhere to try and offset that oh well um, done yeah so it's, it gets harder though, doesn't it the one good thing because once you sort of exhaust the, the more obvious changes in your life mm. uh, I you must be making oat milk and I haven't done that yet so maybe I'll give that a go but um, it definitely becomes a bit harder to come up with ideas yeah it definitely gets yeah. harder but then also the ideas that you're left with are much less attainable they require so much more effort which is good obviously it's great that we're going through this journey and we're like trying to encourage each other I mean and the listeners yeah to do these things and, you know, show that it's not easy, but it's manageable. But yeah, it's definitely getting harder. Also, um, happy podcast birthday. It's our one year anniversary this week of the first episode. Already? It is. Oh my word. I completely forgot. We should have done some drinks to celebrate. Done that at the start of the episode. But yeah, so over the course of the year, think how many changes we've made because we've been forced to, because we're holding ourselves accountable. Just in one year. But, um, But yeah. It's getting, it's getting tough. This year, we're going to have to really up our game. Yeah, I'm going to um, go on Grand Designs or something and build my own sustainable house. Oh, God, I love Grand Designs. Don't even get me started. You know, when they're like, oh, um, we are just spending a couple of million outside our budget to uh, put, <laughs> put, put on this uh, conservatory. But it always looks like, really? so nice. <laughs> Anyway, that's probably a rant for another day. Um, back to flooding. We're going off on one. We're supposed to be talking about flooding. <laughs> so we, we, we've hit one year anniversary. And we're just going... Uh... It's no longer a podcast about climate change. It's just to catch up with what we've done with our weeks these days. It's just a therapy <laughs> session, I think, at this point. <laughs> right. Anyway, Come on. flooding. Back to flooding. So I think at this point in time... At time of recording. Uh, at, at, at the time of recording, anyway, there's still over 100 weather warnings in place across the UK. Mm. Uh, the last two weeks, we've seen a storm... Is it Kara? Would you say it? Chara? I think it's Kara. Kara. Oh, no, it's Kira. Oh, Kira. Oh, C-I-A. Storm Kira. Kira um, and Storm Daniel. Dennis. Uh, the former flooding... Is it Dennis? It's Dennis. Why have I written down Daniel? <laughs> I think it's Dennis. I think you're right as well. That's the worst thing about all of this. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, you're right. Two major storms in two weeks. So we had Storm C, which flooded (laughs) about 800 homes, and Storm D flooded about 600 homes. Which isn't a laughing matter, I I shouldn't be giggling. Um, That's actually quite horrific. Which isn't a laughing matter. Yeah, exactly. You should feel ashamed of yourself. Um, So England um, alone has received 141% um, of the average February rainfall, and that's just been in the last two weeks. And we've had a lot of river level records being broken um, mm. across the country as well. So let's get down to business. Emma, explain. What talk you through? Well, see, rainfalls 
<laughs> ends up in rivers, rivers carry it away. But the problem with Storm Kira and Storm Dennis is not only are they more intense than we normally see, as it were, if you call it that. So I think the Met Office or somebody said that actually the interval for major floods and major rains um, in the UK it used to be they would happen every 10 to 15 years. And actually in the last couple of decades, it's it's got down to like every two to five years. Um, mm. So they're happening with much more frequency. Um, and these two storms in particular uh, resulted from what was termed an unusually powerful jet stream across the Atlantic. And of course they occurred in tandem. So not only did a silly amount of rainfall in one go into river systems that weren't able to deal with that volume of water that quickly, um, it then happened again almost immediately afterwards and those river systems hadn't had a chance to to fully recover so were even less able to handle Storm Dennis after Storm Kara. Kira. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Storm Daniel as well, of course. Um, <laughs> so it's probably a good time to bring out that old um, explanation of weather versus climate mm. where weather is sort of the immediate patterns you see or the immediate events you see and then climate is the consistent pattern of the weather events over time mm. so, so like you said we do still we would have still had heavy rains flooding mm. events anyway regardless of climate change because if i think some of the biggest uh floods the uk's had and some of the uh, flood level records are still from like the 20s and before but as you say it's the frequency of which they're occurring and the intensity as well so it's kind of similar to if we throw it back to our wildfires episode, uh, which I think was, was 24. Say, yeah. um, it's, you know, the, a lot of people are, who are saying, oh, the floods are because of climate change. You can't really you can't really say that the floods are because of climate change. That's mm. what Professor Stefan was saying as well, wasn't it? You know, you can't pin the wildfires that are happening, those particular events or these floods or these particular events as because of climate change. But yeah, it's the intensity and frequency at which they're coming is more than likely driven by climate change, which is what all the climate models are saying, that we're also going to expect even more of these events to be happening and for them to almost become the new normal. Yeah, precisely. Um, I was also reading something about, did you say about atmospheric rivers? No. Talk to me about atmospheric rivers. What on earth so, is that? Apparently it's quite a recent um, discovery that the water mo- water in our atmosphere moves in this way. But yeah, it's effectively a river in the upper atmosphere. Ah. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's still quite cutting edge research. And I think the, the uh, US Air Force is sending a reconnaissance plane through the atmospheric river that goes across the Atlantic in the next month or so. How cool is that? Yeah, I know. So it's basically yeah, just water vapour trapped in the upper atmosphere that moves kind of like the jet stream, I suppose, across the Atlantic. And they categorise them based on a scale of, I think it was one to five, where one is um, almost beneficial uh, atmospheric river, uh, which helps with rainfall, and up to five, which is extreme and potentially threatening and devastating, etc. And I think they have classed the atmospheric river event getting us currently um, that, that's what I, was, I should have said. Atmospheric River event has sort of driven some of these storms as well. And they're classing mm. that as a Category 5. Gosh. Yeah. Um, so I need to do a bit more research on this, but this sort of came up at the very end of my little research bout. A little Google session. So I'll post any more on social media that I find. But uh, it's worth saying that warmer atmospheres 
hold more moisture. Mm-hmm. So apparently one degree C increase in temperature of the air means the air can hold 7% more water vapour. Right. So instant so alarm bells go off minor there. Fluctua- yeah. Obviously you get minor fluctuations season to season. Mm. But then if you're going by like IPCC reports yes. um, or like expected increases of say like two to three degrees, yeah. depending on carbon emissions, then yeah, you can actually see the problem. Yeah. Which is quite terrifying. So then if you're talking about it from a climate change perspective, when it comes to things that we can do about flooding, cutting our carbon emissions is obviously a big thing that we need to do. Because if climate change is increasing the likelihood of these events happening, then yeah, we need to mitigate climate change. But even if we all stopped producing carbon emissions today, we are still going to see those rise in temperatures happening across the globe. We're still going to see those large climate events and weather events happening so what we actually need to be doing is preparing ourselves for them. Yeah, and it's not like we haven't known um, this is coming either. So I sort of dug up uh, IPCC reports, so the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, mm. which is sort of under the UN remit. Um, this report's from 2014, so not that long ago, realistically. But uh, yeah, the 2014 report um, suggested the UK was going to be receiving around 10% more rainfall on average by 2100 compared to uh, 2005 and before. Mm. Predicted more heavy rainfall events, um, more flood risk for the UK, and Europe-wide predicted that by uh, 2080, an additional 5.5 million people in Europe were going to be exposed to coastal flooding than they were before. That's coastal flooding, 5.5 million, and then an extra uh, half a million in Europe uh, exposed to floods by rivers. I mean, those numbers are quite hard to even comprehend, really. But I mean, I think it's worth maybe just saying, yeah, obviously in this particular podcast, we're really only looking at riverine flooding. Coastal flooding is, we can totally go into, that's a whole other podcast. Very fair, actually, yes. <laughs> to talk about coastal flooding, particularly with um, sea level rises. I could do live reporting like you see on the weather where I go down Swansea Seafront um, with my yeah. Mac coat and just um, get battered by the rain. That sounds great. Good I, think, fun. I think you should. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> just, uh, we'll do a live uh, podcast, like a live record, like an on-location recording. And then just a follow-up video of me being rescued by the Coast Guard. That'd be fun. <laughs> totally wasting their time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with um, the reports that have come out previously about the risk of flooding, um, it sort of shines a spotlight on flood management in this country. Mm. Because uh, obviously you're never going to be able to completely mitigate flooding. That happens, unfortunately. And if we choose to live by rivers, yeah. we will have to be at some point be flooded, especially if it's really heavy rainfall. Mm. It's learning but to was... live with the flooding, isn't it? And Precisely. So I was browsing a country file article, because oh. I love a bit of country file. Uh, and they've uh, got a few suggestions, uh, the main suggestions for how we can mitigate uh, impact of flooding. Yes. Go on, hit me. hit me with the country um, So quite a big one is stop building on floodplains. Yes. So 20% of new homes built in Yorkshire, this is a fact I pulled out earlier, not from Countryfile, are built in high flood risk areas. This is what the Environment 20%. Agency has said. In, in 20% Yorkshire. in Yorkshire. And York is also one of the most affected parts of the UK by flooding on a regular basis. And I understand that we're in a, ha- a housing crisis and I understand the desperate need for new homes and cheap, affordable homes. But good God, why are we building them on floodplains? But what's the point if they're going to be underwater? Yeah. 
come on. Anyway, do do carry on. So within that Countryfile article, uh, they had David Demerit, a uh, geography professor, who said that planning permission was supposed to steer people away from floodplains, uh, but it just hasn't worked. Partly, as you say, because of local authorities uh, have requirements for uh, building new housing, unfortunately. Well, that must be so that devastating, was- especially if you've put all of your money as like a first-time buyer into this house and everyone knows how bloody hard it is to buy houses and get on the property ladder to then probably not be able to get house insurance because the insurer won't um a lot of insurers won't even um give you house insurance if you live within like 100 meters or 200 meters of a river regardless of whether you're upslope um a lot of them this is from experience we've had a look because obviously we live near a river in bath um it's it's insane so just imagine I I can't imagine is what I'm saying. I can't imagine what it's like to put all of your eggs in that basket, like literally all of your money into this home, your new home, and then it'd be flooded and you'd just be completely soul-destroying as well as physical home-destroying. We're getting to the point where some homes are just going to be completely uninsurable, really, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Start building on hills. Yeah. It's not, not hard, is it, really? We um, say that, but we're not so, architects or city planners. This, it probably... Well, you could just... But we should be. But we should be. <laughs> uh, second suggestion was to better manage uplands above, like, upstream of the river. Yes. Um, to sort of negate the problem of all this water entering the river system in the first place. Yeah. Is, I think this might be the perfect time. Can I talk about beavers? Please do. I've been itching to talk about beavers. So if we're talking about managing the water upstream up in the uplands, nature's way of doing this was creating beavers. So obviously beavers build dams, they dam rivers and they create wetlands behind them and ponds. But by building dams, they slow the water as it goes through the river. So in times particularly of flash flooding or really intense rains, it means that the river downstream doesn't get so inundated so quickly that it can't cope i mean it still might not be able to cope if the storm's really bad but by having these dams natural dams that we haven't you know put in that are totally impermeable these natural dams will slow it enough to give it more of a chance downstream to be able to handle it so the river might not burst its banks or if it does it won't necessarily burst it so far yeah precisely beavers are great Beavers are great, and <laughs> sounds weirder when you say it, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I shouldn't be allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> but the thing is that that uh, those problems are compounded by, uh, for example, development. So we're saying, oh, don't build on floodplains; build on on a hill, yeah, which is fine. But also, don't destroy uh, habitats. Habitats. This is true. Um, and flora that will normally stop this water entering the rivers quite so quickly. Mm. In addition to um, fairly intensive farming, like animal grazing, because uh, you get shorter grasses, uh, the soil gets compacted, so less water gets absorbed into the soil, so it just runs like straight yeah. down into those rivers, same when you don't have uh, enough trees. Yeah, so um, trees actually well. hold so much water up in their tree canopy, literally just from water clinging to the leaves. It slows the amount of water even hitting the ground so much that actually they can be a really useful tool in slowing how quickly that the rainfall will get into the water table. More trees. We need to more rewild trees. and we need to make the landscapes much more resilient because 
you know. Oh, like, what's that? Is that our podcasts uh, linking to each other? Oh, I think it might I be. Hear. You're right. Go back <laughs> and listen to our rewilding episode. But um, it's almost like it's all connected. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm team rewilding in all senses. I think um, mm. um, if we if we bring it back to the beavers, it's quite exciting at the moment. There's been a lot of talk about beavers in the press because suddenly everyone's calling for natural flood mitigation um, or management systems yep. and there have been actual trials of beavers in the uk as flood management so beavers were like hunted to extinction in the uk i think in the 17th century because for like pelts and for their fur and um, they also used to secrete a certain oil which was used in perfumes um, did not know from that a thank you. gland near their bum hole so that's a fun fact for you to bring out in the pub so ah good I shall. So no beavers in the UK, even though they were native and they would hang out here. So then in Devon, in 2008, on the River Otter, beavers arrived. Um, and they, they were, it's not clear how they arrived um, or how they got there. They think they possibly escaped from, um, I think the, the term private collection was thrown around, but I'm not sure if that's quite, uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound very nice. But anyway, some Eurasian beavers appeared in, in the river um, and... The governments like DEFRA and Natural England were a bit concerned about what this might mean for the ecosystem. But the Devon Wildlife Trust um, proposed a partnership with um, people like Exeter University and a couple of other stakeholders to say, look, I mean, give us five years. Let us see what the beavers do. Let us monitor how they're interacting with the environment. Let us have a look at how they're rewilding and how they're, you know, the impact that they'll actually have on the river system. This could be really exciting. Um, and then they were allowed five years to do so they, they they gave two they put two more beavers into that environment so that there wouldn't um be too much inbreeding and things like that and essentially that five-year trial um is is over or is about to be over but the government have said um uh, we're not sure whether we have a decision yet or as to whether we're going to allow these beavers to stay can you give us six more months so the devon wildlife trust is basically calling at the moment for help funding because obviously they've budgeted for five years of people to be on this project and now they need another six months worth of um, funding basically to be able to continue to manage and monitor these beavers with the hope that the government is then going to say yes crack on allow the beavers in the river otter and let's put beavers in other places um, which is quite exciting it's, it's actually becoming a serious um, it's, it's on the table basically this could happen and they've also been reintroduced in Scotland and that went incredibly successfully and they were I think they're now given protected status in Scotland and it's also happened in Cornwall and they're proposing sites in Wales as well but yeah it's really never exciting seen so because they've been so enthusiastic as oh. when you've been talking about beavers I I'm sorry I'm talking so quickly I'm just so excited about the fact that we might be reintroducing beavers I, I'm, I'm I'm excited because you're excited well I think we should go and see beavers one day if they um you know we should go to one of these projects this would be really cool how, how easy is it, is it to find them if you just go for a little stroll in, in beaver country yeah, well, actually, I think one of the wildlife trusts, whether it's Devon or Cornwall, I can't remember, they actually have like beaver walks because mm. they because it's so exciting. So they've had such an amazing, like positive reaction from the public who are interested in beavers being back in the environment that they're doing kind of public engagement and outreach and yeah, like beaver conservation walks. So you can go and see the beavers, but also learn about what they're doing and things. But they have, very keen they have to go so on a many walk. benefits. Let's do it. Let's go on a beaver walk. So hopefully <laughs> beavers coming to a... A river catchment near you soon. So everyone, you're listening to the Beaver Podcast. Sorry, okay, that's enough about Part beavers. Of the Stimulus Network. <laughs> but it is very exciting, and if you want to learn more, it is about it, absolutely people, it's really go cool. Go to Twitter and find about about it because there's a lot of like petitions and things going on at the moment. People are quite excited. Maybe you could post um, 
links to those beaver walks. I think that'd be very cool. I will. I will. Anyway, away from beavers. More green spaces in our urban areas, also essential, because Ooh, we concrete yes. over everything, don't we? So if we everything's do, do. completely concreted over, there is literally no way that the water can go into the land and, and reach the ground. It's just going straight into, um, I guess, our sewers and our drains. And more than the sewers, um, yeah. I did see are particularly struggling with heavy rainfall, unfortunately, because that's another area that needs to be improved. Um there are suggestions to allow farm land to flood on purpose. Oh, yeah. So it's a bit of a delicate issue because you do need to have, obviously, the landowners, farmers on board. Yes. Um, I think there's some discussions about how you can work out some reimbursement yeah. plan that for them. as in they, crop, they get, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think the plan would be more to not plant that in the first place. Mm. or yeah, if it's a particularly high risk of flooding area, like very regular flooding, mm. um, and slightly lower risk areas would be uh, to have a payment plan in place. Um, so it's, it's not a case of necessarily compensation. It's explicitly paying farmers to allow it to flood. Yes. Um, so almost getting paid for a service. Yeah, which they would be delivering. And I'm sure the people further down the water catchment would be excited by that plan. Oh, precisely, yeah. Um, another suggestion... As ever, I think this particularly came up last year when there were floods, um, is dredging. Oh, okay. Talk me through. Lots of people um, suggest that with an underfunded environment agency, we're not dredging our waterways as much as we used to. So silt is allowed to build up. So the river catchment area is effectively smaller. Oh, okay. So So that used to be a big part of what we did then, river dredging. Yeah, so I, I did do a, a bit of reading on this, but I admit not enough to really be an expert on this. Sure, sure. There seems to be more of a consensus that whilst dredging, yes, would be useful uh, generally and is useful generally, uh, it would still struggle to uh, make a difference in the face of the increased intense rainfall that we've seen with uh, Storms, Kira and Dennis. Nicely done. Kira I like Dennis, that you right? got both yeah. of the names right that time. Oh, so do I. Perfectly right, with no mistakes or outtakes. <laughs> oh, no siree. Definitely won't be an outtake at the end of this podcast. I'll put one at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, interestingly, I think there are some environmental concerns with particular habitats, such as mussel beds, and whether oh. it's uh, risk-destroying those. Again, I need to do more research on this. Um, but it's not the silver bullet, I think, that a lot of people have made it out to be. Okay. I think that's one of the key takeaways from looking at flooding. There is no one good solution. We just need a yeah, lot of effort being put into a lot of very different solutions. We need to look at how we manage our urban yeah. areas and our wild areas to work for us in terms of flooding. There's not. Yeah, so all, all of these solutions we've uh, floated, uh, which aren't ours, I should say. Um, Was that a river uh, pun? Ones On purpose? That... Oh, when I say yes. Yes, it was. I'm just going right. with the flow. Right. Yeah. Oh, gets worse. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, most of the uh, solutions uh, that we've discussed here are more ways to mitigate the flooding mm. that we've seen uh, to some extent. But as we say, we can't completely deal with flooding. We can't completely escape flooding. And especially as 
uh, intense as we've seen in the last couple of weeks and the intensity we'll continue to see in the next couple of years. Reduce carbon emissions. And try not to buy houses in floodplains if you can avoid it. Um, yes. Actually, the Environment Agency did give a list of things to do if you were at risk of flooding. Should we, should we end on those? Yes, because there's not much the individual person can really do listening to this podcast, unfortunately. No. Um, besides carry these ideas forward and um, gently suggest them to your local town planners. Yeah, absolutely. So if you do think you're at risk of flooding, obviously check. Um, have a look at where the flood um, warnings are in place. Step one, move your family, pets and valuables to a safe place. Uh, step two is generally places that flood are consistently a risk of flooding. So you're probably going to get repetitive events or you at least know that it might be coming. So always keep a flood kit ready because the speed at which those flash floods can decimate villages and things is is mad. So, um, you know, a bit like people that live in uh, earthquake zones, have your panic kit ready um, with kind of things like your home insurance um, documents, uh, like spare bottles of water a bit of food some waterproof clothing things like that torches with batteries um if it's safe to do so turn off your gas and electricity and then they end quite nicely on once you've taken the steps to protect your own family check whether there are any vulnerable neighbors or relatives that need help which is really nice i think it's it's such a flooding can affect every single individual in the community and the one nice thing that i've seen of all of these news stories is all those nice little stories about a certain individual who's gone to help someone else and people that have been really brave or you know waded into the river to to help people it's really sweet yeah very heartwarming i've I've seen stories of individuals uh communities have like volunteered to help Mm. soup out local pubs and cafes for example yeah Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, and also, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us for a whole year. Yes, gosh. There we are. If you're, Let us know if you're a day one. I'd love to know if we've kept anyone from the first Yeah, we, we'd love to know um, if you're a new there. listener or if you're an avid veteran listener who has somehow yeah. braved our voices for a full year. Also, people have started sending us their hashtag, what one good thing have you done? on instagram i love this please keep sending them they're brilliant yeah it's so nice to see we're not alone in this strange little journey excellent that's so nice to hear so thank you very much uh we'll be back next week we will indeed. i hope i imagine all right so don't forget to make sure you've subscribed don't forget to leave us a nice little five-star review we're not begging. Oh yes, please do leave us but we'd love a five-star review. Yep, it just really helps us with the old uh, the old iTunes rankings. Help us pull in more people. We can't. You know what? We're only a little independent. You know, we can't we can't beat the the big BBC. We can't compete with Ed Miliband. Yeah, but you know that little thing does help. So off you pop. Go and go and leave us a nice little review. Chuck a few. I mean, chuck five stars our way. Not a few. Not interested in a few. Um, and also, don't forget that you can keep up with us on social media. Lloyd, are you ready for this? Oh, no. You're not, are you? What do you reckon our Instagram handle is? Uh, for what it's Earth Pod. Cast. Cast. And our Twitter? Our Twitter, uh, What Earth Pod. Nice. Our Facebook? Um, for what it's Earth Podcast. Lovely. And finally, you can drop us an email on. For what it's Earth Pod at gmail.co.uk. Dot com. Dot com. But so close. Uh, thanks to a couple of you that have been sending in ideas for um, episodes as well. Yeah, they've been wonderful. We're going to mull them much. over 
and uh, we'll, we'll get to them. We'll put them on our list for year two of For What and Earth. Kapow! All right. See you next week. Bye. See ya. Seems to be the consensus is consens- the consensus is um, it's 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 Friday. <laughs> Words are difficult. The consensus. Many people seem to think that uh, (laughs) the opinion seems to be that yes, dredging uh, would help to some extent, Mm. but even dredging uh, to clear away silt buildup still would struggle to deal with very heavy rain like we've been seeing with uh, Chara and Dennis slash Kira. (laughs) Kira and Dennis. (laughs) Chara. Can we start that again? Oh, no. Yeah, all right. You can do that again. You can put that in the outtakes at the end. Mm-hmm.